Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. Following the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Poor Three Sixty. As always, I am your host Andrew Porno. I thank you for joining me here today. Now, this is going to be more of a somber episode, obviously, given the events of what happened um, on the recent anniversary this week. Um, we're going to talk about discrimination. Now, as a young, white, college-educated male, there's very... I definitely am not an expert on discrimination, um, but it is something that is definitely... Uh, rampant in our country and in the world in general um, but it's definitely worth discussing I thought um, this would be a good um, a good thing to talk about today so now what is discrimination so in human social behavior discrimination is a treatment or consideration of or making a distinction towards a person based on the group class or category to which the person is perceived to belong these include age Caste, color, criminal record, height, disability, ethnicity, family status, gender identity, generation, genetic characteristics, marital status, nationality, race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, and social class. Discrimination consists of treatment of an individual or group based on their actual or perceived membership in a certain group or social category in a way that is worse than the way people are usually treated. It involves the group's initial reaction or interaction going on to influence individuals' actual behavior towards the group leader or the group, treating members of one group from opportunities or privileges that are available to another group, leading to exclusion of the individual or entities based on a logical or rational decision-making. Discriminatory traditions, policies, ideas, practices, and law exist in many countries and institutions. In every part of the world, including in territories where discrimination is generally looked down upon, in some places, controversial attempts, as, such as quotas, have been used to benefit those who are already believed to be current or past victims of discrimination, but they have sometimes been called reverse discrimination. Now, the um, the etymology, the term discriminate, appears in the early 17th century in the English language. It is from the Latin discriminat, which is distinguished between from the verb discriminare, from discrim distinction, from the verb, yeah, you get it. Since the American Civil War, the term discrimination generally evolved in American English uses as an understanding of prejudicial treatment of an individual based solely on their race, later generalized as membership in a certain socially undesirable group or social category. So, um, let's see. Definitions. More philosophers have defined discrimination as disadvantageous treatment or consideration. This is a comparative definition. Individual needed need not to be actually harmed in order to be discriminated against. They just need to be treated worse than others for some arbitrary reason. 
If someone decides to donate to help orphan children, but decides to donate less, say, to black children out of a racist attitude, then it would be acting in a discriminatory way despite the fact that they are... Um, where is it? They'd be acting in a discriminatory way despite the fact that people they discriminate against actually benefit by receiving a donation. In addition to the discrimination develops into a source of oppression that is similar to the action of recognizing someone as different so much that they are treated inhumanely and degraded. Based on realistic conflict theory and social identity theory, Rubin and Houston have highlighted a distinction among three types of discrimination. Sorry. Number one, realistic competition, and it is driven by self-interest and is aimed at obtaining material resources, food, territory, customers for the in-group, um, in in order to maintain more resources for its members, including the self. Social competition, which is driven by the need for self-esteem, and is aimed at achieving a positive social status for the in-group relative to the comparable out-groups. Example, favoring an in-group in order to make it better than the out-group. We have consensual disimmigration, which is driven by the need for accuracy and reflects stable and legitimate intergroup status hierarchies, figuring a high status in group because it's high status. The United Nations stand on discrimination includes a statement discriminatory behaviors take many forms, but they all involve some form of exclusion or rejection. International bodies, United Nations, human rights councils work towards helping ending discriminatory action around the world. Okay, uh, let's see. Ageism or age discrimination is discrimination and stereotyping based on the grounds of someone's age. It is a set of beliefs, norms, and values which used to justify discrimination or subordination based on a person's age. Ageism is often directed towards old people or adolescents and children. Age discrimination is hiring, uh, and hiring has been shown to exist in the United States. Joanna Leahy, professor at the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M, found the firms are more than 40% more likely to interview a young adult job applicant than an older job applicant. In Europe, uh, stint bar Jennifer Norton. Yada, 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 yada. Um, let's see. So, like I said, we have the cast. Um, we have disability. So, people with disabilities favor people who are not. It's called ableism or disabilism. Disability discrimination, which treats non-disabled individuals as the standard of normal living, results in a public and private places and services education and social work that are built to serve standard people. Uh, language. Diversity of language is protected and respected by most nations who value cultural diversity. However, people are sometimes subject to different treatment because their preferred language is associated with a particular group, class, or category. Notable examples are the anti-French sentiment in the United States, as well as the anti-Quebec sentiment in Canada, targeting people who speak the French language. Uh, commonly, the preferred language is another attributed separate in the ethnic groups. Discrimination against if there is a prejudice treatment against a person or group who belongs who either do or do not speak a particular language or languages. Okay. Um, name is an interesting one. Discrimination based on a person's name may also occur... With recent the presence of discrimination based on a name's meaning, its pronunciation, its uniqueness, its gender affiliation, and its racial affiliation. Uh, research has further shown the real-world recruiters spend an average of just six seconds reviewing each resume before making their initial fit-no-fit screen-out decision, and that a person's name is one of the six things they focus on most. For uh, Interesting. Uh, nationality. 
pretty standard race and ethnicity. Obviously, everyone knows it well. Region, region general discrimination is discrimination based on the region in which the person was lives or was born. It differs from national discrimination in that it may not be based on national borders or the country in which the victim lived. Instead, it's based on prejudice against a specific region of one or more countries. It's able to include discrimination against Chinese who were born in the regions of the countryside that are far away from the cities that are located within China. And discrimination against Americans who are from the southern or northern regions of the United States. It's often by discrimination based on accent, dialect, or cultural differences. Religious beliefs, obviously. Sex, sex characteristics, gender, and gender identity. Also pretty straightforward. Um, sexual orientation. Drug use. Um, discriminating based on drug use is interesting. Uh, drug use discrimination is the unequal treatment people experience because of the drugs they use. People who use or have used illicit drugs may face discrimination in employment, welfare, housing, child custody, and travel. Ah, now that makes more sense. Um, reverse discrimination. In the U.S. government, policy known as affirmative action was instituted to encourage employers and universities to seek out and accept groups such as African Americans and women who have been subjected to discrimination for a long time. Some attempts at anti-discrimination have been criticized as reverse discrimination. Particular minority quotas, for example, affirmative action may discriminate against members of a dominant or major group or other minority groups is opposition to race preference, as American Civil Rights Institute's Ward Connolly stated, there is nothing positive, affirmative, or equal about affirmative action. Programs that give preference to some groups based on race. Interesting. Okay, so that brings us to... So we've already kind of answered the question, um, what is discrimination? So... For um, discrimination is the unfair or prejudicial treatment of people in groups based on characters such as race, gender, rage, sexual orientation. That's simpler, but, but explaining why it happens is more complicated. The human brain naturally puts things in categories to make sense of the world. Very young children quickly learn the difference between boys and girls, for instance, but the values we place on different categories are learned from our parents, our peers, and the observe, observations we make about how the world works. Often discrimination stems from a fear and misunderstanding. Um, so discrimination is a public health issue. According to the 2015 Stress in America survey, people who say they have faced discrimination rate their stress levels higher on average than those who say they have not experienced discrimination. That's true across racial and ethnic groups. Chronic stress can lead to a wide variety of physical and mental health problems. Indeed, perceived discrimination has been linked to issues including anxiety, depression, obesity, high blood pressure, and substance abuse. Discrimination can be damaging if you haven't been the target of overt acts of bias. Regardless of your personal experience, it can be stressful just being a member of a group that is often discriminated against, such as radical minorities or individuals who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. The participation of discrimination creates its own chronic stress. People might even avoid situations where they expect they could be treated poorly, possibly missing out on educational and job opportunities. Discrimination big and small. Laws are in place to protect people from discrimination in housing and employment. The Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in the sale, rental, and financing of dwellings on the basis of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, familial status, and disability. The Civil Rights Act and the Age Discrimination and Employment Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act Prohibit discrimination in employment on the basis of race, color, sex, ethnic origin, age, and disabilities. Unfortunately, discrimination still occurs. According to Stress, an American survey, issues related to employment 
the most commonly reported experiences of major discrimination across ethnic groups. The experts say that smaller, less obvious examples of day-to-day discrimination, receiving poor service at stores or restaurants, being treated with less courtesy and respect, or being treated as less intelligent or less trustworthy, may be more common than major discrimination. Such, some such day-to-day discrimination frequently comes in the form of microaggressions, such as snub slights and misguided comments that suggest a person doesn't belong or invalidates his or her experiences. Though microaggressions are often subtle, they can be just as harmful to health and well-being as more overt episodes of major bias. People on the receiving end of day-to-day discrimination often feel they are in a state of constant vigilance. Look out for being a target of discrimination, that heightened watchfulness is a recipe for chronic stress. So dealing with discrimination. Finding healthy ways to deal with discrimination is important for your physical health and your mental well-being. So focus on your strengths. Focusing on your core values, beliefs, and perceived strengths can motivate people to succeed and even buffer the negative effects of bias. Overcoming hardships can also make people more resilient and better able to face future challenges. So seek a support system. One problem with discrimination is that people can internalize others' negative beliefs even when they are false. You may start to believe you're not good enough, but family and friends can remind you of your worth and help you reframe those faulty beliefs. Family and friends can also can also counteract the toll that microaggressions and other examples of daily discrimination can take. In the world that regularly invalidates your experiences and feelings, members of your support network can reassure you that you're not imagining these experiences of discrimination. Still, it's sometimes painful to talk about discrimination. It can be helpful to ask friends and family how they handle such events. Your family and friends can also be helpful if you've been the victim of discrimination in areas such as housing, employment, or education. Often people don't report such experiences to agencies or supervisors. One reason for the lack of reporting is that people can often doubt themselves. Was I actually discriminated against, or am I just being oversensitive? While you be judged negatively if I push the issue, your support network can provide a reality check and a sounding board to help you decide if your claims are valid and worth pursuing. Um, you can get involved. Support doesn't have to come from people in your family or circle of friends. You can get involved with like-minded groups or organizations, whether locally or online. It can help to know where other people who have similar ex- uh, experiences to yours. And connecting with those people might help you find out how to address situations and respond to experiences of discrimination in a way you haven't thought of. Being that target of discrimination can stir up a lot of strong emotions, including anger, sadness, and embarrassment. Such experiences often trigger a psychological response, too. They can increase your blood pressure, heart rate, and body temperature. So try checking your body before you react and slow your breathing and use other relaxation exercise to calm your body's stress response. Then you'll be able to think more clearly about how you want to respond. Now you don't want to dwell. When you've experienced discrimination, it could be really hard just to shake it off. People often get stuck on episodes of discrimination, in part because they're not sure how to handle those experiences. You might want to say speak out or complain, but you're not sure how to go about it, or you're afraid from the backlash and said you end up ruminating or thinking about it over and over about what you should have done. But rumination can make things worse. Reaches have found that while traumatic experiences are a significant cause of anxiety and depression, people who ruminate or dwell on those negative thoughts and experiences report more stress and anxiety. In a calmer moment, it might be helpful to talk over the ways you can cope with similar experiences in the future. Try to come up with a plan for how 
you might respond or what you can do differently next time. Once you determine how to respond, try to leave the incident before you as you go up on with your day. Um, you can also seek professional help. Discrimination is difficult to deal with and is often associated with symptoms of depression. Psychologists are experts in helping people manage symptoms of stress and depression and help you find healthy ways to cope. I guess you're kind of wondering how does this tie into um, what we saw um, on the anniversary of just this past week. So, so for many people, discrimination is the everyday reality. Um, Americans feel they have experienced some type of discrimination. People from racial, ethnic minorities were more likely to report experiences of day-to-day discrimination, but others feel they've been targeted because of factors such as age, gender, education, income, or weight. Now, what's that brings to? This is an article. I was actually kind of thinking about this um, on the anniversary of 9-11, was that um, people have been posting on Facebook about how they long for the America of 9-12 when everyone was united. There was no... Um, no one cared about race, religion, creed, all of that. Everyone was just there for each other and for America. And I saw that and realized that that's not the case. For those people who are Muslim Americans, um, they've come, uh, has this article I'm about to read kind of comes about. There was they were categorized their lives depending on the age they were as a pre nine eleven and post nine eleven. Um, life. So Muslim experienced very different treatment in America um, before 9-11. There was a sense of intrigue. It was something different, said Adam uh, Soltani, the executive director of the Council of American Islamic Relations, Oklahoma chapter, for others viewed Islams. But I didn't sense any fear in being Muslim at all. That was before the attack of September 11, 2001, when a grieving America desperately tried to understand how anyone could carry out such an assault and found it scapegoat, Muslims, Arabs, and anyone who looked like the terrorists responsible for hijacking four U.S. airliners and killing nearly 3,000 people after flying them into the World Trade Center towers in the Pentagon. I think for most American Muslims, many of us can categorize our lives as pre-9-11 and post-9-11 because of the impact the attack had on our lives in a personal and professional capacity, said Zanab Chaudhry, the outreach manager at the Maryland chapter of the CAIR. Suddenly, Muslim Americans went from being one of the least targeted religious groups in the U.S. to seeing hate crimes against those associated with Islam jump 1,600%, an FBI report in 2002 found. Today, Islamophobic hate crimes remain five times more common than they were before 9-11. In the light of the 15th, or as this article was, but in the light of the anniversary of the attacks, Dovenin Post spoke with the Muslim Americans of all different walks of life. Many of whom have since dedicated their lives to fighting Islamophobia, about how 9-11 and the subsequent rise of anti-Muslim bigotry changed their lives forever. Um, so these are the stories. So 9-11 marked the beginning of a new existence. Many Muslim Americans told Huffington Post that September 11, 2001 marks the day their religion went from something others found interesting and mysterious to something viewed as sinister. So Tony was 18 at the time, and in his first year at the University of Central Oklahoma, Richard was the president of the Muslim Student Association. He had started practicing Islam two years early and brushed off his parents, urging him to stay home from school after they heard the news. It wasn't until he got to the mosque near campus that something clicked. Normally, about 150 people would attend the weekly prayer service, and there were no more than 20 people, he said. That's when it hit me that life was not going to be the same for me as a Muslim American, and as and it has as it had 
been bef- as it had ever been before. The overnight change was so pronounced, even those who were young at the time remembered the shift. I never felt anyone ever hated me or my family for being Muslim. Instead, people just weren't familiar with that being Muslim meant, said Tasnia Ahmed, a math student at Stony Brook University who was, at, who was age 9 at the time. After 9-11, things were definitely different. The attack led some to Muslims to examine their faith. Chandri's dad called her on 9-11 and told her to take off her hijab out of fear for her safety. She was in her first year of school at the University of Maryland and had just started wearing the headscarf a month before the attacks. She wouldn't put it on again for two weeks and said wearing baseball caps and hoodies. During that period without her hijab, she found herself flooded with questions about the fundamentals of Islam. I wondered what Islam truly taught, she recalled. If these people claim to be Muslim and they're doing these kinds of attacks, do I really want to belong to that religion? I think for Muslims it was a period of deep introspection. I thought, if this is a religion that promotes terrorism, I don't want any part of it. Sukri Brahim, uh, now a doctor in New York, felt similarly challenged. At the time, he was 21 and in his first year of medical school. On an internal level, it forced me to confront what had just happened, what it made me feel about my faith and others who claimed to share that faith, and how did I want to construct my relationship with both God and my direct environment, he told Huffington Post. After weeks of studying the tenets of the religion and regaining confidence in Islam's peaceful message, Chaudhry put her job back on, knowing that this would propel her into a demanding role. I realized that I was going to be in a position where, at least for the foreseeable future, I was going to have to answer difficult questions and have difficult conversations, he said. And I wouldn't be able to go back to that privileged existence where I had the security blanket of natally thinking I wouldn't be held accountable for actions I wasn't personally engaged in. So, they're talking about their first encounter with Islamophobia. Um, I don't think I could forget that instant if I wanted to, Rahim said of his first post-9-11 experience with Islamophobic comments. He was sitting in the dining hall weeks after the attack when a classmate came up to him and asked how his house was. I looked at him pretty puzzled for the question, felt out of left field. He then looked directly at me and said, well, here we're finally bombing your people, so I figured I'd ask, Rahim recalled. Abed Ayoub, the nation's legal and policy director of the American uh, Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee in Washington, D.C., got his first taste of 9-11-linked Islamophobia at the University of Michigan Dearborn campus on the day of the attacks. I was pulling into a car, a, my car into a parking spot when another car took the spot, recalled Ayoub, who was 20 at the time. I pulled my window down to ask the driver why she cut me off and took the spot. She spit into my car and told me this wasn't, isn't my country and to go home. Wow. The go-home attack was familiar to many. Tara Goraya, um, a full-time parent in Santa Monica, first heard the insult a month after 9-11 when she was in her car stopped at an intersection. A couple crossing the street in front of me stopped, pointed at me, started to yell profanities, and yelling for me to go home. Um, she was 20 at the time. I was shocked, dumbfounded, speechless, and angry. I wanted to yell back that I was that I was home. This is my home. Week after 9-11, Sultani and some Muslim friends at the University of Central Oklahoma were walking to a mosque after a football game when a truck full of teenagers pulled up next to them. They yelled at us, uh, go back home, you sand. I'm not going to finish that. And that was the first time in my life that I had to come face-to-face with the fact that time of racial slur and that type of discriminatory-inspired rhetoric. He said, that's when I realized that things weren't the same or as safe as they used to be. Islamophobia then became a part of the daily life. After 9-11, everything... Uh, Gariah did at work became fodder for Islamophobes. 
She started serving as the executive director of a drug prevention nonprofit and suddenly became the most visible Muslim in town, she recalled, which made headlines for her work carrying, curbing youth access to tobacco and alcohol. Someone wrote to the paper saying it was her attempt to impose Sharia law and slowly abolish all alcohol and tobacco products. The links between the links we were making to my work were getting ridiculous, she said. Muslim Americans had to get used to terrorist jokes, too. Salma Sadiq, a pediatrician from Brooklyn, was at a comedy club a few years after the attacks when a comedian picked her name from a raffle. As I was walking up, he said my last name a few times, and then jumped into a barrage of terrorist and Muslim jokes, she said. Show, the show that night wasn't huge, but there were enough people in the crowd laughing, some perhaps uncomfortably, but still laughing. I felt publicly humiliated and embarrassed, not for being Muslim, but for being in a place that made me feel like being a Muslim was a bad thing. After 9-11, things as innocuous as clothing choice could trigger an Islamophobic remark. When Negan Sadevi Movahid, a law student at the American University of Washington College of Law, was in high school, her favorite trench coat set off another student. She kind of jerked back at me and said, Why do you have that jacket on? So he motivated called. She replied that she was cold, but the girl pressed further, demanding to know what it was hiding. She said, Well, I don't know what you have underneath that it could be a bomb. Uh, so maybe Muhammad just walked away. I never wore that jacket again, she said. I just couldn't do it. Some casual faces became off limits. Trying to stop feeling safe, saying he or she's the bomb because people would think she had a bomb. The level of responsibility that that carries is unbelievable. The standards to which we're sometimes expected to hold ourselves to uh, is a burden, she said. Grez said those fears and pressures kept her mother from stepping outside her home in Bakersfield, California. My mom was harassed grocery shopping and driving days after the attack, she said. She stopped going out altogether and didn't leave the house. My siblings, my dad, and I all tried to convince her to live her life and not give up on her daily activities like shopping, going to the gym, or visiting friends, but she would not have it. Uh, even kids were blamed. Texas a University student Namira Riez, uh, who spoke out for justice after a gunman opened fire at her family's mosque, was in third grade when 9-11 occurred. Later that week, I found a letter on my desk from my best friend in the third grade, which stated that her mom did not allow her f- to be friends with a Pakistani. She said, I was only nine years old. Jahan Manzi, a Los Angeles-based content editor and columnist at the big at the blog Miss Muslim, was even shamed by her school teacher the day of the attacks. The principal came on the PA system and demanded all teachers turn the televisions and radios off. She told us that my physical teacher didn't obey and she turned to me and said, We all know it's terrorist that it's a terrorist attack from your people. Wow. Um, and the other kids picked up on those sentiments. Janan Matari, a New York City-based co-founder and chief commercial officer at Miss Muslim, was 10 when 9-11 occurred. On my first day back at school, one of the kids I used to ride the bus with every morning walked to the back of the bus and said, Why'd you blow up the tower, stupid Muslims, she said. It wasn't until a few weeks after the towers fell that my parents sat us down and explained what was happening in the world. From that point on, it was, Don't make it known that you're Muslim. Air travel was suddenly humiliating. Sadevi Mov. Ahed said she'd had a pretty horrible relationship with the Transportation Security Administration on her post-9-11 travels. More often than not, almost every single time I'm traveling, I get stopped and I get patted down, she said. When she shows TSA agent her idea, they ask her where her name is from instead of where she's from. So I can't go California, born and raised, so Mohammed said, I have to say my name is Iranian and doesn't usually end in my favor. She's gotten the dreaded SSSS stamp on her boarding pass. The second security screening selection subject passengers to additional inspections. It's supposedly random, but the only people I know who ended up on it are Muslim and usually Iranian, she said. 
Ross says when she travels with her family, there's always at least one person in the group with an SSSS stamped on boarding pass. She always gets a free massage, so to say, after going through the metal detectors. At the airports, I feel as if I always have to have a smile on my face or make friendly talk with the TSA members or the person sitting next to me on the airplane in order to smooth my flying experience, she said. Nahal Al-Qasami, the New York City-based co-founder and editorial director at Miss Muslim once, had his agent tell her that her headscarf was pretty but not to wear it next time she flew. Noticing how baffled I was, the agent quickly tried to patch up the damage by saying, no, your headscarf is fine, but it might be the reason the metal detectors went off, she said. I was so baffled because I was more than positive the cotton scarves aren't made of metal. Uh, they're expected to be model Muslims. Post-9-11, Islamophobia demanded that all Muslims answer for the violent actions of a few extremists. That dynamic forced them into a model Muslim role that didn't always feel fair. Many Muslim Americans told Huffington Post. It really catapulted many Muslims like myself, especially Muslim women who wear the headscarf into this very visible frontline role of which it meant to be a Muslim in America. Chaudhry said, wherever we wanted to or not, we were perceived to be the ambassadors of our faith. Sultani, still in her, his first year of college, suddenly found himself doing media interviews with no previous experience. I was looked at by all my classmates and peers as the model Muslim, if you will. Whether I was or not, he said, I was at the representation of my faith to many people, and I think that's still true today for a lot of Muslims in places like Oklahoma, where at best we're 1% of the statewide population. For young Muslims, the pressure to maintain a sunny disposition stand out in all the right ways was simply part of growing up in a post-9-11 world. Try to be as cheery as positive about everything as possible, Sadevi Mohav Ahed said, I have to mute all parts of myself in order to, for other parts of myself to be recognized, which would not be a problem anyone ha anybody has to deal with. Navigating those parts of identity when she was an undergraduate at the University of California, Los Angeles, is part of what led her to help found the Southwest Asian and North African Coalition, a group seeking to unite students from a region most of the Western world defines by its divided politics. Every day there was, there was that struggle of wanting to be a normal American kid, but when I was reminded constantly that I had to be better than average or more behaved than my friends because of my race and religion, Matari lamented. The pressure was ongoing, Charlie said, but being a proud, visible Muslim is one of the most important things she's done. The thing that I felt strongly about was to send a message to the young generation that if I took off my headscarf or if I changed my beliefs or my representation of my beliefs, then in a way I'm saying that Islam was responsible for 9-11 or condoned what happened on 9-11, she said. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So I kind of want to bring that up because I realized that even though I have... When we talked, I don't think I've ever been um, discriminated against for any reason. Um, but I still think it's worth noting that even though a lot of people did come together, it wasn't definitely a bad time to be someone that looked like someone who may have caused 9-11. So I thought that was worth sharing in a post. Everyone has their own stories, and I've talked about mine before as well, so I didn't feel the need to bring it up again. So this has been Poor360 for this week, talking on the kind of sobering topic of discrimination. Thank you. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.